Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. This is episode 98, and it's on the Siege of Malta and the Battle of Lepanto. Basically, we're looking at the struggle that was going on in the Mediterranean between the Europeans and the Ottoman Turks. And even though England was far removed from this battle physically, it was involved both from a perspective of trade. This was when England was pursuing a more direct trading relationship with the East and the Ottomans could be part of that, as well as religion. Would Protestant Elizabeth work with Catholic Philip to combat the Turks? Or did England see the Turks as the enemy of my enemy and therefore my friend? We will find out. (laughs) But first, I need to thank my patrons who keep this show independent. I have amazing patrons. Thank you to Heather, Elizabeth, Kathy, Cynthia, Jurgen, Melissa, Lady Anne, Jessica, Diane, Olivia, Al, Ashley, Kendra, another Cynthia, and Judith. Also, Celine, Laura, Ian, Barbara, Shar, Kiva, Amy, Allison, Joanne, Kathy, Christine, Annetta, Susan, Andrea, Catherine, Rebecca from Tudor's Dynasty, Shandor, Philip, and John. Thank you, you guys. If you want to be part of this group of very intelligent people with exceptional taste for as little as a dollar an episode, please go to patreon.com slash Englandcast to sign up. One other thing, the second Tudor Summit is coming up on March the 3rd and 4th. Mark your diaries. It's all online. It's all free. Two days of discussion and talks from leading Tudor bloggers, historians, and podcasters. People like Claire Ridgway from the Anne Boleyn Files, David Crowther from the History of England podcast are just two of the star-studded speakers who will be talking this year. So go to tutorsummit.com to sign up. Remember, it's free. It's all online. You can do it in your jammies, from your home, in bed, wherever. It's March the 3rd and the 4th, both days starting at 4 p.m. UK time. People have said that the one that we had in September was one of the most amazing online events they've ever attended. I don't want to oversell it, but people did say that. So if you don't want to miss this, Make sure you go on and sign up now. Now, let's talk about the Mediterranean. When we left off, the Knights of St. John had left their island stronghold of Rhodes in a negotiated surrender, and Suleiman took over. That left the Knights without a home base. Their leader actually traveled around Europe asking monarchs for other lands that they could have. They even traveled to England, where Henry VIII gave them some guns as a token gesture. 
I'm sure they appreciated it. Eventually, Charles V gave them the island of Malta in the Mediterranean in exchange for them sending one falcon back a year. They set about making it their new base from which they could engage in piracy against the Ottoman Turks, harassing them and trying to stop them from raiding and taking Christian slaves along the coasts of Italy and Spain, as well as from the islands like Majorca and Ibiza. The knights had originally held on to hopes of getting roads back. Malta was small. It was desolate. They really wanted to get their original home back. But they did begin working to turn it into a naval base. And by the 1550s, they were constructing forts to defend the island against what they saw as an imminent Ottoman attack. The leaders of the night sent out orders for all of their members to come to Malta to defend the forts. They also petitioned Christian leaders to send men. If Malta fell, it would be easy for the Turks to then have a stepping stone to move on to Sicily, Naples, and eventually Rome. An armada arrived in Malta in May of 1565. About 40,000 Ottoman Turks were part of this invasion force, and they were up against 6,100 knights and soldiers in Malta, as well as civilians. It must have been breathtaking. The knights historian recorded that the ships covered half the sky. They sailed in a crescent formation, and they just kept coming and coming. (laughs) They would not stop these ships. It must have been petrifying. The Christians and Turks stared at each other. One group was now prisoners behind the walls of the forts. The other group was planning to scale the walls and kill everyone inside. There were several forts on Malta where the men were stationed, and the Turks spent most of their energy attacking the first, St. Elmo. It was literally falling apart. They thought that it would be about a four-day siege, but the Christians held it for weeks. The siege took several weeks well into June, and it devastated the soldiers on both sides. Every night, swimmers would swim across to the other forts, asking for reinforcements, asking for more men to come. Eventually, the leaders in the other forts saw that it was just going to fall, and it was a waste of resources to keep sending men to try to defend it. So the people in St. Elmo decided they would just fight until they died, and they just kept holding on. The fighting was desperate and fierce and gory, with the Ottoman Turks building these high gun platforms and shooting right down into the forts and the Christians coming out and setting them on fire and using rings of fire and these new incendiaries to burn the Ottomans and to destroy their camps. Once St. Elmo fell, though, the Turks renewed their attacks on the other forts in the island, Bergu and Sanglia. At this time, Elizabeth I wrote that, quote, if the Turks should prevail against the Isle of Malta, it is uncertain what further peril might follow the rest of Christendom. There were three Englishmen who came to Malta's defense. The first was Sir Oliver Starkey, who was actually one of the last English knights hospitalier, also the Grand Master's secretary. Two others arrived during the siege itself as reinforcements. They were disaffected Catholics, John Smith and Edward Stanley. When Thanksgiving services were held throughout Christendom for the eventual victory at Malta, spoiler alert, These men were referred to simply as Christians in England, but there can be little doubt that a Protestant would not have risked their lives defending the Catholic Order of St. John. So the knights did finally win at Malta after a Spanish rescue force called the Grande Socorroso, the Great Relief, landed and the Turks left in September after four months of a siege that saw 130,000 
thousand cannonballs fired at the forts and caused the deaths of tens of thousands of Turks. The official Ottoman archive put it at 10,000 men dead, while the Christian ones estimated 30,000 Turks dead. So let's split it, call it half, say 20,000. A third of the Knights of St. John had died, along with many of the civilians who had lived on Malta. There's one very touching story of common humanity when, in the heat of August, the trenches of the Ottomans were right outside the walls of the battered forts, so close that the Christians and Turks could actually touch each other. You may have heard of the Christmas Day truce in World War I when the Germans and the English played a football match in between their respective trenches. There was a similar event at Malta when the two sides started sharing information about what was going on with each other, they were commiserating with each other, and they traded fruit and bread. This last for several days, you can only imagine the kindness and gentleness that they would have felt just having a shared humanity with these people that they were supposed to be fighting against. I think it's a beautiful thing. This lasted for a few days, but eventually the leadership, of course, ended it because you have to do that kind of thing when you're fighting. So six years after Malta, the largest naval battle since ancient times would take place with one final stand to defend Europe from the Turks. The Catholic Mediterranean countries wanted to ensure that the Turks could not keep disrupting their trade routes. And the Turks, conversely, wanted to increase their territory. This is at the same time that they were pressing westwards against the Holy Roman Empire's lands in present-day Austria. The fell of Belgrade decades earlier had paved the way for Turks to invade via land. The leaders of the Catholic countries, under the direction of Pope Pius V, this is the same pope who would excommunicate Elizabeth, wanted to form a holy league and play off of a crusader spirit to repel the Turks. A fleet was hastily put together under the command of Don John of Austria. This was Philip's half-brother. He sailed in search of the Ottoman fleet and found it in harbor in Lepanto in western Greece in the Ionian Sea. The Holy League's main players were Spain and the Kingdom of Venice, but there was support and participation from all of the Mediterranean countries, as well as Croatia and the Germans, who sent 7,000 men each. This idea of the Holy League itself was so very important. This is the period where we do not have a solidified Christendom the way we did during the Crusades. Not only was Christendom divided down Protestant and Catholic lines, but also the various forms of Lutheranism, of Protestantism, are dividing Christians. Even though Elizabeth had actually been sending ambassadors to the Sultan to pursue trade. Once she was excommunicated, she needed some more trading partners. She still ordered prayers to be said. She ordered that when the Ottomans were invading Hungary, prayers for spiritual aid, lest the infidels who have already a great part of that most goodly and strong kingdom in their possession should prevail wholly against the same which, God forbid, and all the rest of Christendom should lie as it were naked and open to the incursions and invasions of the said savage and most cruel enemies, the Turks. So this engagement at Lepanto, this was the largest naval battle fought in Europe since antiquity, over 400 ships involved between both sides. The striking thing was the amount of hand-to-hand -hand combat between the two parties, with the ships seemingly acting just as floating land for the infantry to fight each other. The Holy League won. It marked the end of the Ottoman expansion in the Mediterranean. The Christians had twice as many guns, 1,815 compared to the Ottomans, 750. The Ottomans also ran low on ammunition. The galley ships were rowed by slaves largely, and that was on both sides. The leader of the Turks, Ali Pasha, told his Christian slaves that if he won, he would grant them their freedom, and if not, God would give it to them. Don John told his own galley slaves that there is no paradise for cowards. 
The battle itself on October 7th, 1571 was so bloody that the sea turned red. I have links on the show notes at englandcast.com with all of the books and programs you can watch and read to hear the specifics of the battle itself. But let's just cut to the chase and say the Ottomans lost. They lost the majority of their fleet and their great galley ships. Isolated fighting continued even into the evening when it was clear that the Ottomans had lost. There were elite Turkish soldiers. They were called Janissaries. They kept fighting until the death. And it's said that at some point, the Janissaries ran out of weapons. They started throwing oranges and lemons at the Christians. This led to these awkward scenes of laughter. I mean, what are you you supposed to do? You've got your guns and hear people throwing oranges at you. It must have been very awkward, but also a little bit of levity in the general melee and and misery that was the battle. At the end of the battle, the Christians had taken 117 galleys, 20 galleots, and they sunk or destroyed 50 other ships. Around 10,000 Turks were taken prisoners, and many thousands of Christian slaves were rescued. The Christian side suffered only around 7,500 deaths. The Turkish side, about 30,000. News reached Elizabeth in early November of the victory at Lepanto, and she ordered bonfires to be lit throughout London. The Bishop of London circulated prayers of praise and thanksgiving that were meant to be said in parish churches, as well as at St. Paul's. Much of what we know about Lepanto from the English perspective is from Richard Knowles. He was an English writer who wrote The General History of the Turks in 1603. This is the same year that James I came to the throne. This is also the same year that Shakespeare's Othello came out. This featured a Moorish prince in Cyprus. So interest in the Turks was growing, and it was a part of popular culture, reflecting the interest that James himself had in this topic. In 1585, James wrote a long poem called Lepanto. And I'm going to read some of it here. It goes on for a long, 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 long time. But I'm going to just read some highlights. To wit, a cruel martial war, a bloody battle bold, long doubtsome fight with slaughter huge and wounded manifold, which fought was in Lepanto's gulf, betwixt the baptized race and circumcised turbaned Turks, recountering that place. Desist, O tempter! Gabriel, come, O thou archangel true, whom I have oft in message sent to realms and towns anew. Go quickly hence to Venice town and put into their minds to take revenge the wrongs the Turks have done in sundry kinds. So you have James, who is a devout Protestant, who is just celebrating this Catholic victory. It was seen as a Christian victory at Lepanto. So I'm actually going to leave it there for this week. The book recommendation is Empires of the Sea by Roger Crowley. So next time I'm actually going to pick up with Elizabeth's specific relationship with the Turks. She sent ambassadors through Russia, down into Persia. She sent ships to Morocco. She was really pursuing a relationship with the Ottoman Turks, or at least exploring it. So we're going to talk about that next time. Remember to sign up for the Tudor Summit, the online Tudor extravaganza. You can get in touch with me through the listener support line at 8016-TESCO or through Twitter at Tesco or facebook.com slash Englandcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back in the next couple of weeks to do this final bit on Elizabeth and the Ottomans. Thanks so much. I will talk to you again very soon. Bye-bye. Blow northern wind, ascend who may be sweating. Blow northern wind, blow, blow, blow. Ich hoch that's all is on sea. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.